Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. This hour is brought to you by Cars for Kids. Feeling good. Feeling good. Body feels good. Um, you know, some stuff to clean up that first half. Turned the ball over too many times. But what a, what a resilient group. Um, so proud of our guys, man. They, they battled their tails off. Hardy making a huge play in the game for us. And then, uh, you know, those final, final couple drives, I feel like we found a groove on the offensive side of the ball. I feel like I was the ball was coming out of the, my hands the best all year. So that's... That's a good thing, um, but again, just got to be smarter with the ball. Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills. This playoffs is setting up for all kinds of drama, storylines, narratives, excitement, and the unexpected. And here to tell us all about what interests her in this regard is Kaylin Kaler. Senior writer at The Athletic on Twitter at Kalen Kaler on the Score Hotline presented by Circa Sports Illinois and six, I should say, twitch.tv slash Chicago 670 The Score. Hi, Kalen. Hey, how are you guys? Happy to be here. Excited for this weekend. We we are doing well and we hope that you are doing well, too. This is a this is kind of a weird group of playoff teams. I I want to start with the with the one that I think has been the most unlikely, and I know you've done a lot of reporting. How did the Texans get this right? Yeah, so this is really interesting. I'm actually going to be at this game on Saturday, and I'm really excited because I I think the Texans honestly could win this game. I like I wouldn't be surprised either way. So the Texans have been through a lot in the last five years. They had two one and done coaches, David Cully. And then Lovey Smith, who we all know here very well. Um, and then it's just crazy to think that a year ago, Lovey was winning their final game uh, so that the Texans would not have the number one overall pick. And it ended up working out for them with the number two overall pick. They took CJ Stroud, um, who was not the unanimous top quarterback. Obviously, that was uh, Bryce Young, who went to the Panthers. And he's turned out to be finally the Ohio State quarterback who plays well in the NFL. And I think that stunned everyone because, uh, you know, again, as we know here, there is not a very proud tradition of Ohio state quarterbacks in the league. But I think the key here is like D'Amico Ryans, who was a Texans player. He was defensive rookie of the year, his rookie season, which was, was it 2006? I think, um, I might be wrong with that year, but he was defensive rookie of the year when he was a player with the Texans. And He means a lot to that team. He means a lot to that franchise. He was really the perfect hire. Like you could even tell from his introductory press conference, there was tons of Texans alumni cheering for him. You know, the staff was cheering. And I know a lot of buildings do that. You know, they welcome the new coach with applause and they're making a gauntlet tunnel for them to enter the building. But it really felt just watching it from afar. It really felt different than like when David Culley or Lovey Smith or Bill O'Brien were coaching there. And so I think D'Amico was really the right guy and he has coached urgency. I think inside that building, they thought that they could win this year and none of us did, 
But I think inside that team, they, they were like, why not? And, you know, he had a couple team leaders um, who, who have been to the playoffs, who have had long NFL careers, talk to the team last week and say basically like, hey, like we don't have next year. Not all of us are going to have next year. So like, let's win now. And so I think it's really impressive what they've done. And I think it'll be really cool symbolism if, you know, CJ Stroud does become the offensive rookie of the year, which I think we all anticipate that he will be because he's having one of the best rookie seasons for a quarterback that we've ever seen. Um, so that would be kind of a cool symbolism that the coach was defensive rookie of the year when he was an NFL rookie. And now his quarterback is likely to be one as well. So I would not be surprised if they uh, take down the Browns because when they played the Browns earlier this year and lost CJ was not part was not was not playing that game. So um, the Browns have a great defense, but I think that the Texans uh, offense is really electric and their only flaw is that they're very young and overall inexperienced. Well, how about the quarterback storyline too, with the, what everything that has oh, gone yeah, on with, 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 yeah. with Deshaun Watson? I didn't even mention uh, right, him, right? And and, and like, considering everything that happened there, and now they're playing the team that has him, and now yeah. it's Joe Flacco instead. I mean, that ah, just so yeah. NFL. I was listening to Houston radio uh, yesterday morning, and one of the first things they said was like, "Is Deshaun going to be there?" And I, I wasn't sure, like, I, I mean, he's been rehabbing in LA and I think he hasn't been around the team. He does not have like a day-to-day um, role with the team. Um, I was talking to our Browns writer, Zach Jackson about that. And he was like, yeah, he went, I think Deshaun was at their game on Christmas, but he hasn't been around um, since then. Uh, so I, I don't think he'll be going to the Houston game. I, I, I would be surprised if he was there, especially given the location of it. Uh, which makes things very weird. But I think like the Joe Flacco storyline has been equally as cool as the CJ Stroud storyline. This guy, you know, coming off of his couch, as he says, didn't have a job, thought his NFL career was over. Um, And now you can see the Browns, like anecdotally, I haven't been around the team, but like, I can just, I feel like they, he's running Kevin Stefanski's offense in a much better way than Deshaun Watson was capable of doing. And you can see the his, the Browns teammates responding to that. And, you know, I, it might be unfair of me to say, because like I have not played on a team with Deshaun Watson, but like I've never gotten the sense from talking to people who played with him that like he is this um, amazing leader. Like I, I don't get the sense that he's the type of quarterback that um, his teammates are really like rallying around. And I know there's different forms of leadership, but like even here, like in Chicago, like, Justin Fields is not really the rah-rah leader, but when you talk to his teammates, they are all so enamored of him, right? Like, you guys know that. You've seen what they're saying. Um, I never got that sense about Deshaun Watson over the course of his career, but with Joe Flacco, you can see that. You can see the Browns players responding to him in a much different way and even different than, like, Baker Mayfield, who was a little bit polarizing there. Kaylin, I'm so intrigued by Rams-Lions, and for a bunch of reasons. Like, obviously... There's the trade. So we can talk about the trade, and that'll be one of the big storylines going in. The other part is they had to kind of convince Sean McVay to return. He returns, yeah. and his team isn't necessarily great, but he he's taken them to, to being a 10-win team, and they they find Puka. They, they, they picked him out, and they said, this is a guy that can, can add to what we do as a passing team. I'm impressed with what the Rams have done to get themselves to this point. And I feel like when I've been watching the Lions over the last seven weeks, it feels like they're leaking oil. 
Yeah, I actually have a story about Jared Goff coming out, I believe, on Friday. So I was at the Lions a couple weeks ago, so was able to spend some time there. That was before their uh, two-point controversy, which I really also enjoyed. That was a great moment of this season. Um, so I spent a little bit of time in Detroit, and I, I, I don't know. It's so hard to read. I kind of agree that they're leaking oil a little bit, but at the same time, like I think they're really well coached and. Um, I think they're really motivated as well. And I do think like, you're right. The Rams are so good at drafting, like in the lower rounds. I think they've been one of the better teams at like finding players who might be slipping under the radar for other teams. Cause they've just got different like metrics of what they're looking for. And um, actually Jordan Rodriguez, who covers the Rams at the athletic has done a few really interesting stories about their college scouting um, department and like the different um traits that they're looking for like they'll take a slower receiver which I think was Puka like I don't remember what his 40 time was but it he he wasn't you know off the charts there and they've got different metrics of kind of what they're looking for which which makes success to them um so she's written some good stuff about their their scouting and so yeah I mean this is I mean it's so poetic that Detroit got LA in the playoffs like I was like oh my god I cannot believe it worked out that way and I have like a whole section in um my story about Jared, about uh, Andrew Whitworth on the Thursday night football broadcast, Green Bay Lions earlier this year, he made a point to bring up the fact that Jared on his way out of LA insisted on getting an exit meeting with Sean McVay. And McVay earlier that year had not wanted to have one with him. He had one with the other Rams players, but he was like, let's wait, Jared, like, let's not do this now because the two of them uh, were not doing well. Their relationship was really struggling towards the end of that 2020 season. And Whitworth, I asked Whitworth why he wanted to bring that up about Jared. I was like, why was that important to you to like share that story with a national audience? And he was like, it's just so badass. Like it's so imagine getting fired from your dream job and going back to the boss and being like, talk to me, tell me what I did wrong. Like that's, I, I thought that was really interesting because I think none of us feel like we really understand who Jared Goff is just because he's a little bit quieter and you know when he talks to the media you can tell he really just doesn't want to talk to the media and he's not giving much in his interviews and so I think he has like um a misunderstood personality in a way and so I thought that was a really interesting detail about how he sought out McVeigh to find out what he did wrong what made him tradable um and I think what's really interesting about the Lions too and this is a theme that we've seen across the NFL in the last couple of years with Geno Smith finding Pete Carroll and finding success and with Tua Tagovailoa finding Mike McDaniel and, and becoming a much better player because he's supported because these coaches are positive and they're um, wanting to build up their quarterbacks. And that's what we've seen with Jared Goff and Dan Campbell in Detroit. In LA, you know, Sean McVay wasn't building him up anymore and he was just criticizing him and that wasn't working for Jared. And the change of scenery going to a new building, going to a new team, and then finding a head coach who is very similar to him in personality. Because what I learned about Jared through this process, he's very like people oriented. He's motivated by his relationships with human beings. And that's exactly how Dan Campbell is. If he has an issue, he's going to resolve it with you like face to face and communicate and give you a hug. So I think that's an interesting theme of like the Lions right now is how they were able to turn around this quarterback simply. I mean, yes, the coaching, the scheme, but also by just supporting him as a person. Caitlin, how would you compare and contrast the current headwinds facing last year's Super Bowl combatants? 
The Chiefs clearly have a wide receiver slash dropped passes problem and a stout defense. And the Eagles have all kinds of issues right now. And there's whispers about the stability of Nick Sirianni. What's happened to last year's conference champs? The Eagles are an absolute mystery to me. I I do not know what happened to this team. It's like they don't really have an offensive identity anymore. Um, and I think they did last year when Jalen Hurts was more of a dynamic runner. Like right now, I, I think whatever injury he's been dealing with, it was like a knee injury, I believe. He's been wearing a knee sleeve um, off and on this season. I think that's impacting his play a lot more than they're letting on. And you can just tell, like I was watching a like a YouTube cut up of his runs this season as compared to last year. And it's just like, he looks like a different player. So I think he's been really limited physically in a way that like we're under S like we're not really fully seeing that because they haven't really designated him as being injured or really admitted it. But I think that's a big part of this. And then, you know, the, the, they well, lost. Can't both they get fined for think, that? I mean, is, isn't that against league rules? If they're sandbagging an injury? I mean, I think they're, he's playing through it, right? Like he's out there. I don't think, I don't know. I don't think what they're doing is necessarily um, violating any rules. I just think he's more hurt than we appreciate because he just looks different to me. Um, And I think the most simple thing with the Eagles is like they lost both coordinators and they're clearly struggling without those two coordinators. And Matt Patricia has not helped the defense. And I think the difference here between where the Chiefs are and where the Eagles are. Like, I'm a lot more confident in the Chiefs having success in the playoffs than I am with the Eagles. And it's because with the Eagles, as you mentioned, there's rumors about the coach's job security. There's rumors about, you know, changes coming there. Whereas in Kansas City, there isn't any of that. Like, Andy Reid is very secure in his position. I don't think anyone is trying to undermine Andy Reid in that building. Whereas in Philadelphia, there is a history of people being undermined there. and. Howie Roseman, the general manager himself, was undermined by Chip Kelly like six years ago. So, you know, there's a history of kind of like weird power dynamics and battles there. And like Sean Desai, their defensive coordinator, Matt Patricia was hired like three weeks after they hired Sean Desai. And at the time, Patricia was, I don't know what his title was, like defensive uh assistant or something it was like senior senior defensive analyst i I think it was senior i think it was senior backstabbing weasel was actually what was (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) so it's like imagine like imagine you're the defensive coordinator you didn't get to hire anyone yourself like the only position that was open on the eagle staff was linebackers because that coach went to the cardinals to be their defensive coordinator so the only position that was open when Sean Desai got there was linebackers. And I think Sirianni filled that role. It wasn't, a, it wasn't someone that Sean Desai was able to bring with him. So, and then imagine you take that job and then three weeks later, they hire Matt Patricia and you're like, mm-hmm. Hmm, interesting. So I feel like from the get go, either Howie, I'm assuming it's Howie because he's got the control there. Um, Howie must not have trusted Sean Desai fully as a first time DC and he brought in Matt Patricia to like be this advisor, you know, consigliere type of role. And I think the whole time he sort of knew, okay, well, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to replace him with Matt Patricia. Like, I think that was probably in the back of his mind as like a emergency valve to press at some point in the season. And so that's that's a bad emergency valve. I know. And so that's what I think is concerning about the Eagles is like, there seems to be a lot of like, 
inner drama there. Whereas I think with the Chiefs, the drama is on the field and it's just on the field. Like I think, you know, their issue is that their receivers are young and inexperienced and they're not, um, they're not on the same page as Patrick Mahomes when he's trying to uh, extend a play. You know, they don't, they're not there in the scramble moments coming back to the ball. They don't have that trust yet with him. And I think it's going to get better as things go on here, but I think that's their main issue. Whereas I think with the Eagles, it's on the field and it's in the building, which I think dooms them in a way that I don't think the chiefs are doomed this, this year. I've never really been a Dak Prescott guy, but he's turning me around. Like, like on, on my opinion on him is completely turned this season. He's got three games where he's completed over 80% of his passes, led the league in, in touchdown passes this year, only nine interceptions for him, and a whole bunch of passes thrown. It looks like that marriage with Mike McCarthy is working for Dak. When you've talked to people around the league about what the Cowboys are offensively, what have they said is the reason why we're seeing like maybe the best version of Dak Prescott? Yeah, there's a few different reasons, and some of them are, like, really simple changes to the offense. Like, they're doing a lot more play action this year, and that's always an easy solve. That's always going to give you, um, you know, an advantage over a defense. So they're doing more play action. They're also using more motion, um, which is helpful as well in terms of, you know, seeing what looks a defense is giving you. So they're doing a little bit more of that. And then I think too, like they're um, like, I did a story about this uh, about a month ago now, um, just looking at what Mike McCarthy said about what he was going to do with the offense before the season and what he actually has done. He said like when he got rid of Kellen Moore he was like, I want to run the ball. I don't want to have a record setting offense. I'm not trying to score a lot of points. Like that was like almost a direct quote of his, but what he's actually done. And I don't know if he was doing that to like, you know, just like throw us off like I don't know what his intention of that was but that's like the opposite of what he's done like they've been passing more than they had under Kellen Moore and they've been passing more on early downs um more than they had with Kellen Moore which is a sign of you know a strong analytics influence so I think like he's I think he's trusting Dak more um and I think that's a good response because last year a lot of his turnovers you know I've, I've read several people writing about Dak's turnovers last year and they were a lot of them were like pretty fluky and when you looked at them like it it wasn't a pattern it was like a one season outlier and so you know the theory would be like well just let him keep let him keep taking shots downfield like don't stop doing that just because he threw a bunch of interceptions last year when that was kind of an aberration so I think that that was good. Like he didn't like overcorrect and make things like really timid and safe for him. And, you know, CD lamb is obviously an incredible receiver and they have him um, playing a lot from the slot where he's really, really good. So I think that's part of it too, is that um, I think McCarthy has just shown that he's, he's trusting Dak and, and trusting his quarterback. And then also, you know, I don't know how much this has to do with it, but we all, all we've all heard his cadence and how it's different this year. And that is like, I don't want to make too much of it, but it's really, really rare for a quarterback in his, what is he in his eighth season now? I think a quarterback in his eighth year to change their cadence so dramatically. Um, he does the, here we go now, instead of, you know, green 19, or I don't know what he did previously, a color number, I'm assuming white 80, one of those, but now he does, 
he, he'll still do a color number, color number sometimes after the here we go, but he'll start with this, here we go. Um, and it's so unique, it's so different. And I think it's really helped their offensive line get together. And I think it's really, it's just a big thing for not only a quarterback, but also a coach to change their cadence. Cause a lot of coaches are like married to a cadence similar, similarly to the quarterbacks. Like I talked to Josh McCown about this a couple of years ago and he was like, I, oh, I was always a white 80 guy and I tried to switch every year just to, so that I could have an advantage over a defense. I tried to do something different every year and I would fall back to white 80 cause I just physically couldn't do it. And I was talking to Nick Foles last year about it as well. And he said he was with Matt Ryan last year in Indianapolis. And he was like, Matt Ryan brought a bunch of cadences and I tried to learn a few of them and I literally couldn't do them because it was so, they were only slightly different, but it was so slightly different that my, I just couldn't, my instincts were kicking in. I couldn't get it. So I think that's also a really interesting part of the Cowboys offense. And Jack is like the willingness to do something different. That's really cool. All right. 30 seconds or less. What are you hearing from your national sources about the direction or directions the bears may take? (laughs) 30 seconds. Oh my God. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think they're standing pat with the coaching staff (sighs) based off of uh, that is really just based off of like what Kevin Warren said to Tracy Wolfson, um, which I'm sure you guys have talked about at length. And I think that's the right choice. If they're not drafting a quarterback, that's what I'll say. Uh, if it's, if they are going to draft a quarterback, I think they need a new staff. I don't think that the staff has shown that they are the staff to develop a quarterback, but I will say if I have five seconds, I'm a proponent of keeping fields and drafting a quarterback. That is where I stand. Okay. I wish we had more time. Alas, we do we not. Can, we can ask Kaylin to come on the show next week. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Cause we got to follow up on that. Kaylin. Thank you. Thanks so much guys. That is the outstanding Kaylin Kaler, senior writer at the athletic. Next, she is out here doing work. Yeah, man. she is. Yeah. Talking to people. Uh, next up, how do you solve a problem like Zach Levine? We'll discuss on the score. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to At Bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Bernstein and Holmes. Jason Goff is here in studio with us. We go from Zion Williamson, John Morant, <laughs> to spinning on finely tailored suits. Hey. Like getting yelled at for dancing. <laughs> on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. The Bernstein and Holmes Show at its finest. Yeah, that's right what we do, Jay. That's <laughs> what we're doing over here. I think with him, you know, just dealing with the shoulder from the other day and then coming off the foot thing and missing as much time. I mean, as much as I want to see him get back to offensively this, you know, level of player that he's been for his whole, it's just going to probably take some games, right? And I just want him to still be aggressive offensively. I think there's still too many times he's he's bypassing some opportunities to shoot it. And obviously, I think for any shooter, he's got to feel comfortable. But if he can give us what he's given us the last two games on the defensive end of the floor with that kind of effort and that kind of work, then, then you know what? You, you're going to be able to you know, he'll he'll find his rhythm offensively. He's done that for his whole career. But, I mean, he, I think, for two games now has done a pretty good job. We got hurt a little bit with Rogier on some of those step-up screens on the base on the sidelines when we were up by maybe five or six. And then it kind of got him back in the game. And they were tough shots. But I thought the effort that, that he put in and the group put in to, to contest was there. Eh, 
I don't entirely agree with Billy Donovan. I know he's uh, trying to keep things all warm and fuzzy in the world of Zach Levine, but there were too many times where he just loses his guy still. His head gets turned, somebody cuts behind him, and then the responsibility is on Alex Caruso to cover everybody out there. Stacy was brilliant last night. Stacy King did a wonderful job of, of pointing it out and just saying, showing what needed to be better. Zach still has some moments, especially in the half court, where he will, in the first action, he will move his feet and he will keep himself between his man and the basket. But it's when they'll reverse the ball and bring it back, and then then he's a step slow again. Or it's what, what Tom Thibodeau used to talk about multiple helps and recoveries in a given possession. That it's one thing to do the eye wash. It's one thing to do the, oh, look at me. I'm playing defense. I'm, I'm playing my so hard. It's, but, but to me, the other issue with Zach at the moment, beyond the fit in the offense and the pace, are the 50-50 balls where they go right by him. And, and that, that's, a, that's a dog-ass team you're playing. They're horrendous. You should have won that game by 35, 36 points. Well, they won, so that's kind of all I care about, but it was not a good showing. I I care about more than that. Letting them push themselves back into that game where they clearly, like, when you had them down, what, 11 at the beginning of the fourth quarter? You could have just kicked them in the crotch repeatedly, and they would have quit. And it was one of those nights, and I thought it was going to be great. Now we can watch the national championship game. We don't have to flip back. And then every time we're flipping back, damn it. Why are they down one? Why are they only up two? And he ended up going to overtime against those bums. And, and you got to hit the deck for a loose ball every once in a while. And because you want to, not because you're trying to show it. And, and I've learned a lot. And, and she, I know he's coming back, and it's, we need to give him a larger sample size. But DeMar DeRozan has showed me a lot this year, a lot of professionalism. And, and showed what he is as a teammate. Mm-hmm. I don't know that Zach Levine, regardless of the, what the, the stat sheet says, just show me that you want to fit in. Show me that you get it. I mean, then you start talking about how guys are wired and what their personalities are like, where, I don't know. Like, I, I know I'm, I'm doing some dime store psychology here. I think DeMar has had, he's been the man so much in his NBA career that he he is able to identify like he doesn't he knows that he can be that he knows that if the team needs me to do that I can do it but when you're 15 years into your career and you understand that skills will be diminished athleticism will be diminished what are the other things that make you a good basketball player well, that's what Zach's never had at any point in his 10-year NBA career. Well, he's, he's he, never had instinct. And and part of it, we usually will talk about this with football players. I think Zach is such an elite athlete. I think Zach Levine is one of the best athletes in the NBA, and that's saying something. But that makes things easier for you. And just look, like, like, remember, wasn't wasn't Demar Derozan a, a slam dunk champion? Like, he was at least a, like a finalist in a slam dunk contest, and he's gone from that to being this. And you're you're trying to figure out could Zach, while he still has maximum athleticism, 
can he figure out it's ten others? Years. I know. It's ten, I know. It's ten years. And and the answer seems to be no. I keep waiting for a light to click on, and I'm sure that there's other stuff too. Like I'm sure that there's the well, you know, are you really a hundred percent? Are you ten toes down here, knowing that it's possible that you get traded to someplace else? Like. Who knows all know. of the factors that are going in? Yeah, but the all moment I know the, is the that I watch, the ball goes up, you got to forget all that. When I when I watch him play, I I leave almost every time disappointed because if you're that great of an offensive player, you should be a much more responsible defensive player. A little bit of breaking news from the NFL. Breaking news on six seventy. The score is presented by BetQL. Smarter bets start with BetQL. Download the BetQL app. Or visit BetQL.com today. Both Ian Rappaport of NFL Network and Adam Schefter of ESPN are reporting that the Titans have fired Mike Vrabel. They need a lot of new stuff down there on in, in Tennessee. Like I think they've they they've got to kind of revamp everything. They're another one of those teams that I think might be interested. I, I know that they spent a second round pick on a quarterback, but they might be a team that you might want to call. Say, hey. How'd you like to jump up here? So start the speculation for Vrabel to New England, right? Yes, if Bill doesn't return. I wonder if Bill could, I wonder if he would like to not be the guy in charge of getting the groceries anymore. Like maybe that's the solution to this. We need to find an actual general manager for you. We know you can still coach. There's no reason to believe he can't. But let's not have you pick players anymore because you're not really good at that. We've got high noon coming up. We have a human being doing something no human being had ever done before. And for some reason, somebody having a problem with it. A legendary coach made mention about some of the issues with youth sports. And I want to run it by Dan and and get your thoughts as a youth coach, youth sports dad. Former. Former. Well, I mean, even now he's he played last night. Yeah, like what the hell? Hey, I, I don't know how anybody got his number, but somehow like there's this secret goalie bat signal. For, so, got, and so could we see Jason be a goalie in a Blackhawks game? Like, <laughs> like the, the is, he the, is he the emergency no, guy? He was he was some men's league team's e bug last night, and 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 came one late glove side goal away from getting a shutout. But it was, uh, I think he stopped 16 of 17 in a 5-1 victory in his first game in almost a calendar year. I love that. Um, Before we go to break, I just wanted to say, I am going to be with Remy Martin out at a couple of places out south. I'm going to be at Bevda's Wine and Spirits on 169th and Torrance in Lansing on the 18th. And then I'm going to be at Benny's Beverage Depot in Orland on 94th Avenue on the 25th from 5 until 5.30 until 7. I love the people at Remy Martin. They're doing some really cool stuff. We want to get you down to the Court of Dreams on March 1st. We're going to choose a winner. You can go there and play ball. I've been told that I'm going to be allowed to play ball in this thing with Remy Martin. I don't even own a pair of basketball shoes. So now I'm going to start searching for basketball shoes. I, I just think we also have, look, if we're going to sample the, the the pizza, I think we might need to sample the Remy Martin. So Remy Martin? Martin? Oh, well, this is the great thing about Remy Martin. They're very generous. All right. I, I can bring you some stuff. Um, but go to 670thescore.com slash contest. 
And this is what you want. If you're a baller, if you know someone who's a baller, you should try to win this contest so you can go and play on the Court of Dreams on March 1st, courtesy of Remy Martin. High Noon is next here on The Score. You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes. I'm still stuck, Dan, in trying to figure out (laughs) exactly what it is we do here. (laughs) Well, no, that part, I've figured it out. There's fart jokes and mascots. That's all is going on here. Bernstein and Holmes. Fart jokes and mascots. Middays 10 to 2. On 670 The School. I'll be back this way on Monday. We'll settle this then. Right there, out in the street. In front of the palace alone. Yeah, right. When? High noon? Oh, it's been a long time since I've been able to do high noon and even just kind of relaxing seaside with the mountains behind me and the combination of marine and desert air that you can only get in San Jose del Cabo. I was still scrolling on my phone every once in a while looking to See what stories are out there that I might want to, especially when I saw the orcas. Yes. Because that had put me in the mind of High Noon because of all the time we had talked about the Spanish orcas. And I was worried they were going to take out our boat. And I thought, now they know. They listen. They listen. Everybody listens. They say they don't. I never listen to you guys anymore. I mean, the numbers. I don't listen to you anymore. Yo, The the numbers prove it out. Oh, among orcas? Are you kidding? Huge. Huge. That's our demo. That's how we'll catch Wojo. No, we're actually beating Wojo. Maybe not the ones in, not the orcas in Mexico, actually, or in Spain, now that I think about it. But maybe the non-Spanish speaking orcas were still- The ones that are in the Chicago River. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. They're over there by Chonkasaurus. Those, they're, they're, they're friendly with us. Jaquan Brisker, Kalen Kaler, lots of bears, lots of uh, bulls stuff. And look at that beast! Hey, how you doing, guy? You look good. Gino Oriema sat down oh. in a. Com- I know, I know, but Ugh. I want you to hear Gino out Ugh. because I think that you will appreciate his point. But he's a penis. <laughs> yes, but I, that doesn't mean that he can't make a good point. Correct about youth sports. Okay. I have a hard time watching high school kids play or younger kids play because they're more talented than ever. They're better athletes than ever. They can do more things than kids 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. But they're not better basketball players because this coach or that coach or that system has them playing six games on Saturday and they practice once that week. It's totally opposite of what they do in Europe where you will practice six days and you will play once. So you wonder why all these kids coming from Europe, they say, well, why are they so fundamentally sound? Why can they all dribble? They can all pass. They can all shoot. Doesn't matter whether they're 5'10 or 6'10. Because they practice. They don't play games. Here, it's all about how many games are we going to play? And then are we going to practice this week? Like I coached the boys AAU team, okay? My son was on it. We had five Division I players on it. We had three kids that went pro. So we went down and played in Orlando in a tournament that all the college coaches go to. And we had a chance that if we won one more game, we would finish 11th. That's pretty damn good. We had them all coming back the following year. And then two of the kids said, I'm not playing. I said, why not? I said, well, I'm playing on another team. Why? Well, it turns out we practice every Tuesday and Thursday like clockwork. Well, the other coach told them, you don't have to practice. Just show up for games. So that was that. So those kids, who most kids are going to go, yeah, I don't have to come to practice. No, just show up for games. So, as a basketball fan and as a sports yep. dad, what do you think of that? Well, I know for a fact there's some truth to that, and it's not just basketball. The the, the, the 
the for-profit tournament business has changed everything, too. It really has. Just about what these tournaments mean. And I've, I've seen it in baseball of the travel teams that just go around and try to collect as many trophies and, and medals as they can. And the coaches just want to assemble all the talent and presume that the work is being done elsewhere. Either the high school coaches are doing that work for them. Yeah, they're, they're, every one of these sports has that kind of cultural issue. So I don't think he's wrong. I cert- And I don't know the ins and outs of basketball because I was not involved in youth basketball at all. I can speak more to baseball and hockey. But I believe it. I, I believe him, too. It, it, there's so much that's available as far as, like, an AAU circuit or whatever circuit that you're talking about. You're right. Like, the for-profit tournament stuff. It used to be that, like, for me, and I get, I'm in a in get-off-my-lawn situation, it was you wanted to play for the high school coach. Like, you wanted to catch the high school coach's eye Correct. when you were in 6th, 7th, 8th grade. And now the high school coach is the grunt doing yeah. the dirty work and running the practices and doing everything just so you can go down to IMG or whatever right. else it is. Yeah, Right. So shout out to HF, by the way, for winning the Dipper. And the Big Dipper tournament this year was loaded with talent. So congratulations to HF for winning that and bringing the Dipper back, baby. I watched the video of 13-year-old Oklahoman Willis Gibson beating Tetris. How awesome was NES. that? How awesome that he he glitched the game. It's it, it, People who have seen this know that it's been done by artificial intelligence before. Robots have reached the kill screen. And the kill screen is at 999,999. Like the scoring that this kid got is, is insane. He did something only robots have done before. And his reaction's incredible. When, when it actually happens, he's almost hyperventilating because he realized he, he crashed Tetris. He got to the freeze screen. And the president of the, Tetra, the classic Tetris World Championship described it as something everyone thought was impossible until a couple years ago. It's never been done by a human before. So the video gaming world, the people at Tetris, everybody in and around are recognizing this as an incredible achievement for just this 13-year-old kid from Oklahoma. Well, don't tell that to Sky News anchor Jane Secker, because she apparently had a problem with it. Now, Tetris has long been touted as a video game that just can't be beaten because it just goes on and on. Well, 13-year-old American Willis Gibson has technically proven that wrong. He beat the original Nintendo version of the game by reaching such a high level that the coding froze... I left the program unable to generate any more falling blocks. As a mother, I would just say step away from the screen, go outside, get some fresh air. Beating Tetris is not a life goal. Speaking of fresh air, let's get a look at the weather. You can kiss every part of my ass. Go pound salt. That's a huge deal. And, and if you if you as a mother, if that's your reaction as a mother, why wouldn't it be 
Son, I am incredibly proud of you. That is Congratulations. awesome. You, you did something no human being has ever done before and was considered impossible for a human being to do. And I love you and I'm proud of you. And here's the other thing that, that while we're talking about youth sports and as a mother, they give out scholarships for this now. You, like I work, oh, the radio station at DePaul is right oh, across man. from the eSports lab. At DePaul, you can win a scholarship. He might even be able to get rich before that because he's done this thing before. Is it a life goal? No, but it was something that he was doing and he was passionate about, and he broke the bleeping game. He did something that no one has ever done before, and to be that dismissive of it. We don't know if this young man might go outside and be touching grass and all of that stuff. But the fact that he beat the game and that she was so dismissive, I'm glad that the the internet went and got her. Yeah, she earned every bit of it. Is it that just that just bull crap. So congratulations to Willis Gibson. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hope that he grows up to be a benevolent genius. Mm-hmm. That would be great. Instead of our overlord. It would be nice if that a nice benevolent benevolent genius popped up instead of a drug-addled Nazi. Yes, yeah, that'd, be, that'd be great. Let's see how Earth responds to that. Let's, yeah, you're, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah be, Let's see how Earth. Yeah, drop the ketamine for a few seconds. <laughs> All right. When we come back, why don't we talk about one of the off-season news items for the Bears? It doesn't have to do with the quarterback and the head coach. It really just has to do with the general manager. We'll discuss Jalen Johnson and his arc next on The Score. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.